there. Welcome to episode number 118 of the DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and with me today is Jane Litt from Dear Author. Before we get started, I want to start by saying trigger warning. We are going to be discussing rape in romance in this episode based on a reader letter from Sage. So please be warned, I'm not reading loud, violent scenes or anything like that, but we are discussing the prevalence of sexual assault as a plot point or a backstory development and the ways in which readers interact with rape and, and scenes of sexual assault in the genre. That's probably the first half of our discussion. And if that's something that may upset you or put you in an unsafe place, I want you to be, be aware. We don't get any, into any particulars, but we talk about books where there is rape, where there is not, and we talk specifically about how readers can identify those books to keep themselves and their reader spaces safe and exactly how they want them to be. The music that you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater, and I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is and where you can buy all of this lovely, lovely music. And this podcast is brought to you by Berkeley, publisher of Only For You, the brand new novel from Beth Carey, author of the New York Times bestseller, Because You Are Mine. So we are going to start today's episode with a letter from Sage. This is where the discussion of rape begins, just be ye warned. This letter is from Sage. Dear Sarah and Jane, I've been binge catching up on your podcast while cooking Thanksgiving dinner today, so first off, thanks for being such good company. You are well-loved around our house, where my boyfriend refers to you as the sexy smart ladies. Okay, well, well, um, your boyfriend's awesome, so thank you. After hearing both Kate Noble's most recent interview and Courtney Milan's, I am finally going to try to articulate a question I've had simmering on the back burner. Yes, I went there. I've been cooking since 6 a.m., so sue me. Okay. So first, a little not-so-fun background. I was raped as a high school freshman. It was a violent experience, and it left me pretty shell-shocked and very disassociated from any sense of budding sexuality that was starting to emerge in my teenage self. Luckily for me, life has more than made up for that one instance of trauma. I have a community of friends and family who continually support me in my healing process, and I've been able to find peace and purpose through volunteering in the sexual assault survivor community. On my 18th birthday... One of my sisters slipped me a copy of some Amanda Quick book. I read it in like a day, and my libido totally took notice. It was so cool. I wasn't ready to dip my toe into any sort of sexual relationship in real life, but I was totally sold on reading about how awesome and not scary romance and sex could be. Fast forward about a decade, and I still love reading romance, and I can be a pretty equal opportunity reader. But I do not want to read about rape or sexual assault. I don't even want to read the hints or threats of these things. I am in no way speaking for every member of the sexual assault survivor romance reader community when I say these things are deeply painful for me to read about. I've talked to women who find it empowering to read about characters overcoming sexual violence, and I totally get it. I just don't want to do it. Reading a rape scene sends me into a bad place, and I've come to respect that while I can answer phones at the sexual assault resource agency till the cows come home, I can't welcome a rape scene or the hint of one into my imagination. And that's totally okay, but it leaves me with the issue of having to figure out if a book I want to read has any of that triggery stuff in it. So I guess I'll split my question into two parts. Firstly, I really want to try out some of these authors I've been hearing about from you, mainly Kate Noble, Courtney Milan, and Tessa Dare. Are there any books I should definitely not read when I jump into their backlist? Secondly, do you know of any resources for checking if a book will contain sexual violence? I can always troll Goodreads or review sites, but that takes a bunch of time. 
As a quick aside, someone pointed out to me that at least one publisher, Riptide, lists warnings for things that might be triggery on their website when you look at a book description. I think Riptide is primarily male-male romance, but I took a look and it's super easy to navigate that setup. It would be so great if more publishers offered that. Well, that got really long-winded. Thank you for all the time and effort you put into the community. You're awesome. Happy holidays from Sage. Before I get to Jane's and my discussion about identifying books and scenes with rape in them, I want to thank Sage for emailing us, first of all, because that's a really difficult thing to talk about, but it is an important topic that we do need to discuss, especially as Jane and I discovered. When I did research about this particular topic, there are a lot of reviewers who make it a point to mention whether a book has or does not have rape, especially when it's not obvious in the book listing. There's a lot that can be done in this situation, and I think that this is a great discussion. But I want to thank Sage for having emailed us and to say that I am so, so sorry that that has happened to you. The two things that I thought were most interesting about her letter were the fact that she wasn't sure how to go about identifying whether or not there were rape scenes in books or if a book contained sexual violence and that she wanted to know if there was a way to find a resource that would help tell her that. Now, we've talked about rape in romance before, particularly the use of rape as a, as a backstory development for instant emotional depth and sympathy for heroines, but I haven't seen that many obvious markers of this book contains sexual violence unless it's tagged on Goodreads or the publisher, like Riptide or Sam Haynes, specifically says so in, in one of their product warnings. Have you seen anything like that? Well, I know that some authors put it in there, and I think that more authors, or maybe all authors should. I remember reading a review of a book once, and the reviewer said she didn't know that there was a rape in the book, and none of the reviews that she had read said that. And she bought it and she read it and she was a rape survivor herself. And she said she couldn't stop reading it because of her um, past trauma and that she felt like she was being raped all over again. Oh, it terrible. God. Right? It was terrible. And um, I remember there was a book that someone had recommended to me, Allie Martinez, and I can't remember the name uh, the title of the book, uh, it was very popular on Kindle, um, and uh, I bought it, and it opens with a very violent gang rape scene. Yeah. Totally unprepared for it, and I'm not a person who is averse to reading that in a story, um, but I, I was just taken aback, and I just stopped reading it then, and I've never gone back, and every time I look at it, I'm like, oh, that's the rape book. And I don't know if it's, I feel like it's far more prevalent in self-publishing or indie titles than it is in mainstream, traditionally published titles. Uh, and I just wish that authors would be more sensitive um, about warning readers because that is a real trigger for people. Um, and it's becoming, it's almost like, there's hardly a book that doesn't have it. I participate on some Amazon forums, and the very first question that most people ask is, is the heroine raped now? I mean, that's, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of sad that that's a question that's so frequently asked. Yeah, and, and it's asked because it, the, it's become so commonplace 
for the heroine's emotional arc to include sexual assault. And I know sexual assault's very common for women. Um, so maybe in some sense that's realistic, but the fact of the matter is that, that there's so many books these days with that as part of the trope, you can almost n not escape it. Um, I have that problem too. And I, th and I think I've said this before that the number of rapes that are actually occurring and actually unreported is probably equal to or greater than the number of heroines who face rape in the backstory or in the present of, of romance fiction currently being published. But the fact that rape is the default emotional trauma for women is really tiresome. Right. So, I mean, I, and I totally understand. I think it's really the, I think that authors need to be more responsible and provide those trigger warnings in their blurb, maybe even in the front of their book. If they choose to go that route, then they need to be upfront about what the book contains so that the reader is not unaware. I don't know of a source for her. I think that the best thing that someone like her can do is to get into a reader's group or Amazon forum and just start asking questions. Does this book have rape in it? Um, and it's going to be more time consuming, but if it's problematic for her, then I think it's important for her to reach out to other readers and see if they can help her. And it's, you know, those Amazon reviews, unfortunately, aren't, a lot of people don't like to uh, spoil things. Like mm -hmm. they think that, I mean, for me, if a book opens with a rape, that's not much of a spoiler, right? No, that's, that's kind of, I don't know if it's in the sample, it's not a spoiler. Right, right. Uh, I, I can't remember which of the reviewers, I think it was Eagle at SM Book Obsessions, wrote the review for Maybe Someday by Colleen Hoover. And uh, the hero, Ridge, and I use the word hero kind of loosely. Um, His name is, is Ridge? Yeah, is, okay. uh, is deaf. Right. And it's revealed in the sample. I think it's at 14%. And she puts that in her review. And, and the Hoover fans descended on that Amazon review saying, I can't believe you spoiled this book. Now I won't ever be able to read it. <laughs> that, it wait, 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 and the hero had blue eyes. Oh, no. Right. I mean, it was in it, the first 14%. It's not a spoiler. Great day in the morning. And it was obvious that these people had read the book, but they were like, no, no, you're going to ruin it. And I won't be able to read it. And I'm like, Jesus, you've already read it and given it five stars. So <laughs> I find that a little problematic that, that reviews aren't as helpful as they used to be. And so you really have to seek out um, individuals who are kind of like-minded, um, people who like the same books as you, and then seek them out and, and, and ask for help from them. I think it's important also because a lot of romance readers are, are seeking the, the, the genre because it is a safe space for them. This right. is not the first time that I've read about or heard a person who has survived sexual assault say that the portrayal of sexuality in romance as a positive and fulfilling thing is what helps them understand beyond their own perception of sexuality, which is violent and negative and scary and awful. And I don't, I don't want anyone, like you said, to start a book and find themselves triggered or traumatized or put into a very unsafe space for themselves because of what was in the book. What I find really frustrating, for example, for a little while, Jocelyn Jackson's Someone Else's Love Story was on sale. 
And Jocelyn Jackson is a wonderful writer. She's really, really talented. But nowhere in the description of this book is there the fact that part of the story rests very heavily on a rape. And I had to start looking at the Goodreads reviews, specifically at the one in two stars, to find out this information. Like there's one review by a reader named Ashley who says, I can't stand this book. There is a rape at the core of this book and the writer writes it very sympathetically with, re with regards to the rapist. And I could not read this book. I wouldn't, I, I want to know that before I say, hey, this book is on sale, trigger warning, there's rape in it. I mean, to have nothing in the cover copy, no indication in the story or the description. And sometimes you can kind of tell, like, and then a bleak event from her past. So, right. oh, well, she was right. raped. And then a traumatic event. Yup, okay, hold on, time out. Maybe, well, it's not mugging. It's probably not mugging. Maybe she doesn't get pickpocketed. Probably rape because she's a girl and this is fiction and that's the default. So you can sometimes tell there's no sign in the, in the cover copy for this book at all. And at least with Amazon reviews, they're searchable. So if someone has taken the time to be specific for a book, you can go to that book's page and search for the word rape and see if anyone mentions it or sexual assault or whatever. As a consumer, that's time consuming, consume, consumer consumering. But it, that's pretty much the only option I know of for readers, like you said, to find reviews that mention them. And I guess the I guess publishers and authors don't put it on because they don't want to scare readers away. But yep. I feel like there are some readers who are never going to be happy reading that. And why expose them to it? I, I don't know. I feel like in this sense that kind of a, a person's trigger um, should be um, observed over your own mar marketing desires. I agree with you. I think one of the other problems is that people have very different triggers. Yeah. And so it's it's very hard to say, well, if this book is triggering in any way, we need to label it. I don't want to say that because for one person, it could be the smell of Old Spice. And for the other, it could be the sound of a coffee grinder. And those are both equally traumatic experiences for those people. However, I think the portrayal or specifically the portrayal and the after effects of rape are a very common trigger. Common enough, I think, that it would be possible to identify books that do or do not have it. One of the ideas that was suggested to me by Tessa Dare was to maybe develop a specific database of books. Does this book contain rape? Yes, no. What kind? Backstory during the text. Like very simple rubric of identifiers to show whether or not a book portrays rape so that people could quickly search and identify. Well, I think that would be a great idea, but as you and I both know, <laughs> something like that is really time consuming. Yes. I need a couple grad students and a grant, <laughs> another grant. I should start writing grants. Not, or I write to, do you know a billionaire named grant? I could write to a billionaire named grant. That would help. Forget the whole grant thing. I'll just write to grant the billionaire or the billionaire who grants grants. I don't know any billionaires. I know a couple millionaires and none of them are named Grant. I, I know some thousandaires and they're not going to sponsor this. But it, it does seem like a logical thing, for, particularly for this community, because the romance genre is so very much about sexuality. And I'm not trying to say at all that romance should not contain rape ever. 
You know, I remember when Anna Campbell's first book came out, there was a great deal of response from some readers very loudly who were like, I cannot believe that we are going back to the days when there was rape and this is horrible. And yet I thought that book was real. It was hard for me to read. I didn't I didn't necessarily enjoy every part of it. But I didn't think that what she was doing was reviving the old school rapetastic hero stereotype. I thought she was doing something very challenging and very different. And with the fact that rape is so common now in heroine stories across multiple genres, it does seem like this is a thing that we could identify for readers to create a safe space or that people could voluntarily identify. And, we, and you know, it's not uh, limited to romance. I mean, science fiction fantasy. No, it's true. Is that a lot. Um, the Mercy Thompson series, for example, Mercy is raped in a later part of the series. Do you know I read that and I was like, wait, wait, was she raped? Did that, wait, how did, and it was, it was so vague for me. I didn't actually know I had to go read reviews to confirm whether or not that had happened. <laughs> well, it happened. Yeah, apparently. And I was like, well, oh, well, apparently I was not paying attention. I have a lot of sympathy for readers who end up reading about situations that are so personally traumatic for them. And I don't ever want to tell, you know, authors what they can and can't write or tell publishers what they can and can't publish, because that is certainly not my job and not a job that I want. But I do think there there is a way to identify books that contain rape and signal readers that that's something that they might encounter in a book. But like you said, it doesn't even have to be overt. It can just be the dark trauma. Of yes. The then we're like, oh, okay, I'm going to assume... Yep. I agree. I don't think we need to limit the genre or what people can write. And, and, and uh, the reader wasn't wanting that at all. And no, no, no. She doesn't. Other readers find this cathartic. Um, there are certainly ev um, some anecdotal evidence that rape survivors find some comfort in those sorts of stories. Um, and, I don't, and I think that given that it's such a common experience for so many women, that there's... N that in inclusion of it is probably important. Yep, yep, but I think yep. it's just as important to um, be mindful of the, to not re-traumatize people, I guess, uh, through fiction. Do you think that there are some series or some authors who go for the most graphic as possible depictions, that that's what their readership expects? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, that seems to be something of a hallmark with a very specific subset of contemporary erotica, specifically in involving motorcycle clubs or gangs or groups of men. Well, I mean, um, I'm trying to think of there's this one author who, Pepper Winters. I mean, she specializes in dark romance where the heroes are basically, you know, they really are rapists. Uh, there's another author, Nishota Rose, who had a character who who kidnapped his girlfriend uh, because his white slaver father made him do it. And then he proceeds to humiliate her in front of his father uh, for her protection. And then later just um, is able to somehow uh, escape with her just because it was time and it was just too dangerous for her to be there any longer. I felt that was all really gratuitous. <laughs> You don't say. So, but but there's a lot. There's a huge part of the readership, uh, and I don't know what the readership is. I think we've talked a little before about how Fifty Shades had brought in a lot of new readers, and they're not necessarily romance readers. No. Uh, and I and I suppose these 
books, I don't know if they're marketed as romance or if they're marketed as dark erotica or what they are. I don't find them particularly romantic, but I can see how they can be compelling reads. And I do think that those readers of those books and of those authors expect a certain darkness, a certain anti-hero that you wouldn't find in other books. I, I think it'll be interesting. Pepper Winters was picked up by Grand Central, so I'll be interested in seeing what kinds of books that she is able to publish through mainstream romance. And how are they going to market them? Right, exactly. I mean, that's already a challenge for films that are sexually violent. Those seem to get a sort of art house, small market approach. Like they know this is not going to be a big tentpole blockbuster. This is about a girl who's raped and put in a box like that. There's, there's an understanding that this is a very specific kind of film. It's, it's, it'll be cur I'm curious to see how they're going to market those books. Are they going to be like romance? This is for you. And then a large population of romance readers are going to be like, no, 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 that's not for me. No, 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 no. And yeah. do they, do they own the content up front or is it up to reviewers to say, yo, heads up, there's violence in there. Yeah, the, the problem is is those uh, readers who aren't online, no. who are just casual in the bookstore. I don't know. You know, there, it, it was um, a couple of her books have been really popular, Pepper Winters. And so there's certainly an appetite for them. And maybe it's just that readers like to be shocked. I don't know. Yep. It, I don't know. Um, I did read the book. I did read one of her books. I thought it was just it was too much rape for me. Like the girl in the book is raped like three different times by three different sets of people. Okay. No, 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 uh, no. But, but it was really popular. I always read these books to see like what, what is making them really popular. <laughs> I don't understand it. And I'm not going to shame a person for their reading taste. And I just don't, it wasn't for me. I, I know. I don't want to shame somebody for their reading tastes either. And that's not what I intend to do. Um, but I do know exactly what you mean by, I, I want to figure out what people see in this. Because I, I always have that alienating, wait, everyone else gave this five stars and I kind of want to set it on fire. What's wrong with me? <laughs> I have that experience all the time, regularly. Actually, every time you recommend a book, pretty much. <laughs> Jane liked this. Why do I want to set it on fire? What's wrong with me? <laughs> oh. If anyone has ideas of how a, a, a warning or a just a reference database of does this book contain rape, how that could be built, what it would look like. And what's the easiest way to get that started is there's probably someone listening. Who's a programmer. Who's like, Oh, 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 I know exactly how to do this. It'll take 14 hours and I can do it in my sleep. Like somebody knows how to do this. I'm not that person, but I bet someone listening has an idea of how this could work. So I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. Because on one hand, I want accurate portrayals of sexuality and I want women's sexual experiences and life experiences to be represented in romance. And I want everyone to have the opportunity to see a piece of their own identity and experience in the books that they read. And that includes sexual experience and personal experience and, you know, familial experience. But at the same time, I want to be cognizant of the fact that sexual violence and sexual assault are intensely difficult and dangerous places for some people to go. Like, like Sage said, this is not a place where she can go in her imagination. And I, and I want to be respectful and mindful of that too. So it's, I feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but both parts are important. You know what I mean? No, I don't think it's talking about, I think you're saying writers should have the freedom to write whatever they want, but readers deserve especially those who've suffered the traumatic uh, of assaults to be warned in of, of dangers in their safe place. And 
I do think that as much as reviews can help, there's nothing wrong with the author or the publisher saying, you know, hey, this has uh, um, a rape in the romance. Uh, and, you know, there are some stories that are specifically about forced seduction and, and not just forced seduction, but, you know, the acting out of the rape fantasy. And that's a very popular fantasy. There should Everybody should, not everybody, but that story should be allowed to be told. We shouldn't be censoring that. But at the same time, I think it, um, readers deserve to have some awareness or um, openness about the types of stories that they could potentially be reading. I, I do think that there's a way to balance that without inhibiting creativity. I, I agree with you. Wasn't there a Katie Porter that where the, where the, where the couple wanted to explore yes it's hard way by katie porter uh warning time to put the kidding aside although 100 percent consensual between a husband and wife this book contains violent sex that in some scenes will appear forced readers sensitive to rape scenarios should proceed with caution i and yet this book has 147 ratings and 3.8 average on goodreads i mean some people saw that and were like okay i'm in let's do this well, I mean, one of my favorite Kara McKenna books is The Willing Victim. And the girl um, in the story uh, really wants that experience. And the guy wants to give it to her. And I think that that's perfectly healthy. Are there any authors that you think that Sage should try or books that you think she should try specifically in historical well, you know who she should not try? That's also a valid question. <laughs> Putney writes a lot of her books, both male and female, suffer some kind of rape in their past. Yeah, that I uh, yeah, don't go near there. Susan Johnson, Forbidden or Pearson, Pearson Outlaw, there's no rape in those books. Um, and they're very sensual. I was thinking that um some of the more classic regencies might also appeal to her because there's a lot of emotional um, emotional tension and, and an emotional richness with very little overt sexual content. Right. I like Joan Smith and uh, Joan Wolf. You like Jones in the Regency. Jones in the Regency. I mean, Mary Balog, some of her books have rape, so I don't feel like I can say, oh, yeah, just read Mary Balog. I think Edith um, Layton, Edith Layton books would be good. Yeah. Um, and Loretta Chase's uh, uh, Regencies. You know what I would really love is to see Arnett Lamb's books. Um, I thought I read something about her books being uh, sold or her, because she's passed away. So her estate had to make a deal about the republication of her books in digital. But I thought I read something that her books were coming out. And I don't remember her books having a lot of um, uh, sexual violence in the past. Stay away from Jude Devereaux. Yeah, don't, don't, don't go near there. Um, That's a big no. Actually, I'm starting a no list right now. No. <laughs> so see, it's not a con it's not a contemporary thing. Do you no. know what I'm saying? A rape in romance has long been a trope been used for both men and women. Oh, absolutely. Robin it is Stone, like Robin Schoen for the longest time, like every and every male protagonist had been raped as a child. It's definitely not just a, a, a current thing. The problem is that it's so often used lately in the past few years as quick character 
dimensional building by inserting a sexual traumatic event in the backstory of a heroine or a hero that okay instant emotional and comp and uh, personal complexity no no that's that's not how that works and also the curing of sexual trauma with one magic sexual experience that also bugs the crap out of me but rape and romance has a a long and storied history it goes back quite a ways yes so you know stay away from like you know virginia henley Kathleen Woodowis, the old ones. If there's, if you find it in the used bookstore and someone is wearing fuchsia, that's a pretty good chance that there might be forced seduction at the very least. And if it's fuchsia and teal, just back away slowly and go to another section. You know, I haven't read a lot of historicals recently, so I'm kind of a Well, that's because you killed the genre, Jane. I know. <laughs> you killed it. You killed it dead. So I've ruined it for everybody. Yeah, I've you fucked it all up for me. Thanks a lot. <laughs> um, okay. It, Jane. So, so anyway. So tell me what you're reading. Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. And I do have a book I want to tell you about, actually. The sad thing is, is I haven't read anything that's really spectacular. Probably the best thing I've read recently was Claudia Connor's Worth the Fall I think this book was self-published for a while. I, I might be wrong. But um, I had stayed away from it because it's about a pregnant woman who's just recently been widowed who has four kids. I don't like kids in books. That's a lot of kids in a book. And yeah, so I don't like even one kid in the book and she's got four and one in the oven and she's falling in love with some Navy SEAL on leave for a week. I mean, how is that going to happen, right? But I actually ended up liking it. The romance is slow and, um, and measured, and I felt like it was appropriate for the time and place and given their circumstances. And, it, and you know, it doesn't just last for that week. It, it, uh, they meet and they fall for each other in that week, and then they start seeing each other after the vacation is over, but it's hampered by the fact that they live so far away from each other. And so they visit, um, and then they have to make a decision about, you know, big decisions about their lives based on a small time in, that they've met each other. And I like that. I thought that that was, I mean, genuine, and, and um, it, it was much better than I thought it was going to be. So That's a lot to start off a book with. She's pregnant. She has four kids. She's recently widowed, and they're meeting on vacation. Yeah, I guess the, there are a couple things that uh, the author does that I really liked. And one, um, the kids were shown as being exhausting, as they always are, but the mother was very competent. And she wasn't um, uh, impoverished. So, you know, she, she had resources and funds, and she, was, she never appeared to be overwhelmed by having the kids, and she was really excited about having the kid. Um, her husband, who had who had died, I think, in a plane crash, um, had had spent more time working than with his family. So she never had a real sense of connection with him. The seal, I think his name was Matt. He came from a really large family: six brothers, one sister. He had always wanted a family, mm -hmm. and and he loved kids, and it was he had a very easy way with the kids. So I think that. I wasn't overwhelmed because none of the characters were overwhelmed. That's good. And they didn't become plot moppets. I mean, 
all kids to some extent do, but I, but her kids were an important part of the plot, you know? Yeah. Um, for example, later in the book, they meet, uh, she meets his family and his mother is kind of standoffish because she wanted her son to have his own family. Right. And not inherit someone else's. Right. Which was real hurtful, obviously for the heroine. Um, but you know, I I started reading the second book, and they still have um, it's still they still just have the five kids that she had with her previous husband, and so there's no attempt to for them to make babies. Now they probably make babies because they love kids and they're financially capable of supporting those kids. And if you've already got five, you know, right, one more. Just- but I like that it wasn't he needed a kid of his own, right? right. It was he fell in love with the kids and they became his own. That's like in the, um, the first fast track novel by Aaron McCarthy, uh, flat out sexy. I don't want to spoil it because it's a bit of a plot point, but the heroine is a widow and she has kids and doesn't think that the hero who is younger than she is would be interested in her for, for a long-term relationship because not only is he younger, but she has kids and she's not too keen on going through baby boot camp and doesn't want another baby. Which I thought was really interesting because it, you know there's there's a, a fecundity is very valued in romance, fertility and virginity. We have a fertility and a virginity problem in romance. We like a lot of it, both of them, which is probably a bit problem. It's a bit complicated to have both fertility and virginity, particularly um, in that order. I think I emailed you this. So I, the other day I was asking for book recommendations on Twitter. Yes. And a couple of people recommended a book to me and I went and bought it because I think I had gotten three recommendations for it. It was a post-apocalyptic YA and it, it looked like it had a romance. Um, and I started and I get, there's some like, my spidey sense went up when I started it and I'm like, I wonder about the ending of this book. Uh Oh, so I go to the ending and it ends in a cliffhanger. No. And there's no romantic, um, and, uh, entanglement that's resolved. And then in the worst part, the very worst part, the next book doesn't come out until November 2015. The first book was published in like June or July of 2015. Oh, no. So I stopped reading it right there. I was really kind of pissed off. Oh, no, that's not okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I was mad about that. Oh, oh, I read Hero by Sam Young. And I have to admit that I had kind of, after On Dublin Street kind of lost my love affair with Sam Young. Um, I liked the second book, didn't much like the third book. I don't even know if I finished the fourth book, and I did not even start the fifth. Was that Jamaica Lane? (laughs) I think that was the one that I started and never finished. (laughs) There's only a little bit of history built up in the name, just a little bit. So, um, <laughs> so in the four, in the in the fifth book, I didn't even start. But um, Hero uh, by Sam Young is just kind of this, you know, um, billionaire um, assistant story. Uh, but it all worked out for me, and I really enjoyed it. And I think anyone who liked On Dublin Street will uh, like Hero. And I feel like she's kind of found her groove again, moving away from her On Dublin Street characters. Um, 
<clears throat> I thought the ending kind of had some extra additions that were unnecessary, but and didn't kind of didn't quite fit with the entire storyline. But I did like it, uh, so I recommend that. Oh, I, I read this book, Loving Lawson, which was on uh, a Kindle Unlimited book, so free. <laughs> I guess it's not free. That's a, that's that's kind of a I don't know what the word is, but it's a fallacy that we've built up in our minds, right? We pay monthly for it, so it's not free. Yeah. Um, but I every time I see it, I'm like, oh, the book is free, <laughs> but it's not. I I have I have been really enjoying using Scribd. Yes, yeah. For that for that reason, like, okay, I already well, I'm still within my three month free trial, which oh, is, so it's truly free for you. It's truly free for me until like February, and I have a date on my calendar to ask myself, do you want to renew? And right now the answer is, oh yes, because for eight ninety nine a month, I am reading far more than nine dollars worth of books that I would have paid for. Like I just like I just lined up all of Sarah Morgan's backlist and read them one after the other, and I didn't have to pay for one of them because they were all in there. I loved it. I read the Christina Lauren backlist through Scribd, and those books are like seven ninety nine. So, which one is Christina? Is that Christina Lauren with like a dirty, filthy, rotten boy? Yes, yes. Spanky, schliffy, schmutzy boy. Yes. <laughs> I hate those titles. I hate the covers. I need to do a re- I need to do a Jewish remix of them. Schmutzy, schmutzy, stinky boy. <laughs> <laughs> did when I did the podcast interview with Angie. She was saying that if you like fantasy, Harper Collins is in there and they have all of Dorchester's backlist. So okay. I have been reading the Marjorie Lou books, which I had never read before. Yeah. They're in there. Why not? And, and C.L. Wilson would be in there. C.L. Wilson's in there. Marjorie Lou's in there. All the Dorchester stuff is in there. I had never read the original Dirk and Steel books. They're a little bit too much suspense and gore. There's a lot of there's I, I'm only like 33 percent in and I've already seen some intestines. So my ability to continue may be a little bit compromised because I'm not a big fan of entrails in my romance. But still, this is great. Like I got the whole damn backlist just waiting for me. I think the problem with Scribd is um, its discovery features like there is no easy way to browse. Oh, it sucks. And, and whatever they need to do to spend money on proving that is money well spent. You have to know what you're looking for to find you it. Have, exactly. There's no, they, I don't know what they need. I need, they need some kind of top 10 list or top 100 list or something, but whatever they've got going on, it's not working. You know, um, it would be great for them once or twice a month, a top 10 undiscovered gems list. If you like fantasy, here are 10 books from, you know, more than five years ago that are part of Scribd that you should try. Boom. That would be an easy way to curate topical content for Scribd. You're welcome, Scribd. Take that, take that idea and run to the bank. Run, run quickly. So what else are you reading? So I read Loving Loss, and that's that quote-unquote freebie. And I thought it was very sweet. It's about this girl who got pregnant with her boyfriend and then he um, goes to prison for a drug deal and so she breaks up with him <laughs> as she should um, and uh, his older brother Lawson um, she goes to him because she need her mother has kicked her out and she needs a place to stay so he um, tells her to come live with him in his apartment and then they fall for each other, which is pretty, for you know, it's kind of forbidden because it's his younger brother and the younger brother's in prison. Um, but I ended up liking it because the characters are so nice. Who is this by? 
Um, R.J. Lewis. Jesus. And it ends with some type of a cliffhanger, but the couple is together. So it was a cliffhanger that I thought was manageable. As long as the romantic plot line is somewhat resolved, I'm okay with larger issue cliffhangers that continue the book onto another one. You know what I mean? Right. And you can, you know, this is a couple who don't make very much money. She like waits tables and he fights. Um, and also I can't remember what else he does uh, for a income, but it's, they're, it's a very hard scrabble life that they lead. It's not a billionaire story. And so you can kind of see their impoverished circumstances leading them down into, um, into danger, not because they wouldn't be able to survive on their own, but because some of their, some of the younger brother's problems, ex-boyfriend's problems come back to haunt them in ways that they had not anticipated and imperil them further. And so that's kind of the overriding plot line that was not resolved in the first book. Now, could it be resolved in a regular sized book? Maybe, because it's, you know, I don't know, 3,800 locations, which is, well, I don't know, 50, 60,000 words. That's not terrible. No. So, I mean, you know, it could have been one book in the past, but it's two books now or however many. The other book I read was A Gentleman in the Street by Elisa Rye. That's the book I was going to tell you about. Okay. Did you like it? Well, I did and I didn't. I liked all of the parts with Jacob and Akira uh-huh. when they were together and they were struggling with their emotional hangups um, and so forth. But and this is just an it's not me, it's not you, it's me thing. The group sex scenes never do anything for me. And I, I always feel like those are almost shows and displays rather than in moments of intimacy. Those scenes and that sort of lifestyle that they have, doesn't, I don't find appealing. So that was not for you? No. And that, that's the problem I have with the... Um, the Kit Roca books now, it's so much more, so much about group sex and so much about being on display and, and not enough for me, uh, one-on-one contact, but I did like it. And I thought that she did some great things in kind of inverting the, the billionaire trope. Guess what? You loved it. I am in the middle of reading it and I totally disagree with you. Can you <laughs> believe that? I know. It's shocking, isn't it? No one who is listening is surprised in the least. I am in the middle of reading it. Um, I have to be I have to be a little circumspect because even though I'm reading on my phone, my older son has a daily reading requirement. And so at bedtime, we, you know, hop into his bed and set the timer so that he knows he's read long enough and we're reading together. And I, I just didn't want to read this anywhere near my children. Like, even though if they read over my shoulder, everything on the page would completely sail over their heads and they would not understand it. And they are probably not interested in what I'm reading anyway. I could not read this around my kids because there is a lot of very intense sex. For me, the group sex scenes work. Because for Akira, that's part of her character. And in order for Jacob to accept her as the person that she is, which includes her sexuality and a voracious sexual appetite, which she's utterly not ashamed of, which I thought was so awesome, that's part of who she is. And he has to be prepared to accept that and that she's not going to accept and tone down her sexuality to be with him. And she's not going to compromise that part of herself 
to make him more comfortable. He needs to be aware of who she is and how she lives her life because she's not willing to change everything about herself to be acceptable to him or to anyone else. The theme of being acceptable to other people's definitions is such a major thing for Akira. I understood that and I understood the purpose of this group sex scenes. And I thought they were, I thought they were fascinating in terms of just the logistics, like how many rooms are on that level of her house? Do they connect? Where's the bathroom? Do you have like, you know, special showers? Like what is there lube just hidden in the drawers? Like how does this work logistically? Like, you know, when you have a party and you make sure there's enough ice and you make sure there's enough cups, how do you logistically prepare for orgy times? Like that, that I didn't expect to be in the book, but I was curious. Well, I, I agree with everything that you say, that it was important for her to have him accept her type of sexual activity and that mm-hmm. he did. Um, and that and I liked how he said, you know, I might not have acted these out, but I have an active imagination. And it all worked for me from that standpoint. But Here's that's just her, not what you'd like to read. No, it, it's not just what I like, not what I like to read. But it, here's one of the dilemmas I had with that. And that is, Akira spends her whole life rebelling against her mother. So I couldn't figure out whether Akira was the person she wanted to be or whether she was the person who she uh, created as a result of rebellion against her mother. Was she who she was genuinely or was she who was she who she was as an antithesis to expectations? Yes. I think that's a totally uh, fair question. I haven't I haven't finished the book yet, so I'll be curious to see if I think that question is answered. Well, you have a very good day, and I'm sorry for ruining historicals for you. Uh, It's all right. I'll be okay. I've got group sex to read. I just can't read it when my kids are around. (laughs) And that is all for this week's podcast. I hope you enjoyed our discussion. It wasn't too upsetting for you if this is something that's difficult for you to think about or talk about. I would really like to know what you think. Do you think there should be a database of warnings about rape or sexual aggressive content in romance? Do do you think that could work? Do you think that other readers would find that useful? I was envisioning while I was editing a sort of red, yellow, green system where you pull up the title of the book and if it's green, no rape, please drive through. If it's yellow, rape in the backstory, rape is a character development, rape happens off screen. And if it's red, there be rape, go ye away. But that might be too simplistic a system to help correctly identify the type of scenes and content that might trigger someone. So I am really curious what you think, and I would love to hear your ideas, or if you think this is a terrible idea, I would like to know why. You can email us, as always, at sbjpodcast at gmail.com, or you can call our Google Voice number, which is 1-201-371-DBSA. And it occurred to me, because uh, a lot of the things I learn to do, I figure out by doing them, That if you have discovered the podcast and aren't aware that there's a whole website thing, two websites actually, connected to the podcast, and you are looking for the podcast entry and the information in the books, that's at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. And you can find our feed there, and we're also on iTunes, and on Podcast Pickle, and on Stitcher. And there are several other podcast apps that people use. If you've got one you want to recommend, please email us, because I'm very curious about all the different options. This podcast was brought to you by Berkeley, publisher of Only For You, the brand new novel from Beth Carey, author of the New York Times bestseller, Because You Are Mine. 
And the music that you are listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. This is Deviations Project, and I just bought the whole damn album. This is from the album Adeste Fiddles, still the best holiday album title ever. This is the Holly and the Ivy, as they have remixed and recreated it, and I think it's pretty awesome. Thank you again for listening, and on behalf of Sage and Jane and myself, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend. 